Welcome back to the RCF podcast. I'm here today with my lovely wife, Alice, once again. Hello. And we're also joined by Jelani Poole. Hi. Jelani is one of our RCF student leaders this year. It's good to have you on the podcast. It's good to be here. Our topic today is why we don't sing Hillsong, Elevation, Bethel. I think you could add a a lot of other things in that, but why we don't sing those songs in worship at RCF. We wanted to have this conversation because there is a broader application, and I think it could be helpful for many of you who are listening. I wanted to start today by asking you, Jelani, to maybe share a little bit of your story, because I know this this is a subject that you talk to many people about. Yes, absolutely. Can you share with us maybe a little bit of, of your story and why you're so passionate about this? Sure. So when I first became Christian, one of the really big things that drew me to different churches was the way that their worship service was set up. And so one of the really big things that I was looking for was something that was just different from the church that I grew up in. Um, And so I found Elevation because I was really, really into the way that their worship music sounded and what they were about. And they were just really, really different from what I was used to. I I mean, I'm from Georgia, so Bible Belt. And so everything is a lot more traditional, but even then it's still a little bit a little older, I guess. And so I was 16 at the time and I wanted something fresh. I wanted something new. So I was like, oh my gosh, Elevation's really cool. So I was like, if they have really great music, then they have really great church services too. And so for a really long time, I thought that that was the thing. And I got my mom and my dad involved in it. And then I got to college and I learned a lot of different things. But one of the things that I learned was the way that the Bible was presented wasn't necessarily the best. And it wasn't biblical actually. And so I wanted to know more about who Christ actually was. Um, And it took me a while to do that. And so after that, I was like, okay, well, if the worship music is what brought me here and what they're teaching isn't necessarily the best, then maybe their songs aren't the best either. And so I started going through this entire process of not just shifting the music that I listened to because I shifted from more secular music to Christian music, but even in that Christian music, quote unquote, um, there were still things that weren't necessarily biblical and it wasn't helpful for me. So what I wanted was words that would glorify God because that was my goal in the whole process. And so I started looking a lot deeper into what people were saying when they were singing, as opposed to it just being really music oriented. Because at that point, I was really music oriented. I really like beats. I love bass lines. That's like my favorite thing. And so really nice composure and composition of a song is really, really cool to me. That's like my first attraction. But then listening to the words, I think is also really important. So that's why I'm really, really passionate about it. My background is in Christian music. I spent several years in the Christian music industry. So I'm very passionate about this because I've seen it from a different side of things. And Alice and I can both say that we're not coming at this from the standpoint of, we don't like music, you can only sing the old hymns. Right. You know, that, that, That's not us. I, I'm a music person myself. I, I'm a worship leader. I've done that for many years. And in fact, up until recent years, I led Hillsong music in churches and in our college ministry and those types of things. So we're coming at it from that standpoint. We've been in the position as well of seeing how music leads to the teaching. Right. And I think that's a, a very important thing that we want to point out. We 
we're concerned with the teachers, and we're not going to go into, on this podcast, the teachings of Bethel Elevation and Hillsong, because you can find that all over the internet. You can find plenty of things that are concerning, but we've seen how the music leads to the teaching, and we've seen the concerning teaching. That's obviously something that we want to help students not get caught up in. And also, when you start to learn what these churches are teaching, you start to hear the lyrics of the songs in a different way. You start to hear the bad theology coming through, even in what seems to be innocuous words, it definitely shines through. And music really does help shape our theology. A lot of times, like you were talking about, you're grabbed by the music first, and that leads you to the teaching. What we don't always recognize is that the teaching's in the music as well. Right. What they believe is coming through in the lyrics that they're singing. Here's a really interesting quote from Bill Johnson. He's the main teacher at Bethel. Again, we're not going to go into all of Bethel's theology, but this applies to this conversation. Bill Johnson said this, and I quote, Music bypasses all of the intellectual barriers, and when the anointing of God is on a song, people will begin to believe things they wouldn't believe through teaching, end quote. That's kind of scary, right? And so it tells you exactly what they're trying to do. He's saying people wouldn't necessarily believe the things if we just taught them. So you think of something like reckless love. If somebody had stood up and said, our God is reckless, everybody would have been like, I don't think that's right. But you can sing it in a song and it's catchy. And that's an easy example. But I think there are many more examples of that where they're introducing you to a theology that is concerning. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that quote is really, really interesting to me. And it's also kind of like a a red flag because one of the things he says is that it bypasses the intellectual aspect of Mm -hmm. worship. And so when it comes to worship of God, it's not just an, an experiential, emotional thing. It's an intellectual thing. We think with our minds, we respond with our hearts, absolutely. But the purpose of worship is for it to be a response to what we know from scripture. And so for us to understand scripture, we need our minds. We need the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and insight. And so one of the things that I've been learning throughout this whole process of learning how to worship and what worship is supposed to be like is God is very intentional with the way that he prescribes worship. Even in the Old Testament, as I'm reading through Exodus, he gives them a play-by-play of what the tabernacle is supposed to look like, what they're supposed to do in worship, how things are supposed to be consecrated. For us, obviously, we don't have a tabernacle because we're not Israelites, But it's the same in our congregational worship and even in our individual worship where our heart posture is, what we're supposed to be doing in that process. And God has clearly laid out what he wants in in response to worship because the worship is not for us in itself. It's for God. We are created to worship God, not to worship our experiences or ourselves or even just to be in fellowship with one another. That's not the central point. The central point is to glorify God. And the worship service isn't even just music. It's the entire service, whether it's scripture reading, if you have a call to worship in your services or anything like that, or even just the word being preached, all of it is worship. And I think that that's a really important thing to note because again, all of those things are intellectual things. Absolutely, there will be emotional parts to it, but they are not just an emotional response to a song that sounds really good. 
I'm reminded of John 4:24 when Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not just spirit. It's not just the emotional experience. You have to know what you're worshiping. Right. That is important. What is true? What is true about God? And that's what we want to sing. Yeah, we, we certainly want to make sure our lyrics are lining up with that. I encourage you to read the lyrics of the songs apart from the music, because I think that's really important. We get caught up in the the musical aspect. Jelani, you were talking about how important the actual music is to you, right? And we can get caught up in that. Read the lyrics of those songs apart from the music. Some of them are actually going to sound outright ridiculous (laughs) uh, when you you read them without the music. And some of them, you're going to recognize that they don't sound quite right. So a good song is going to be able to stand on its own. If our heart is going to respond in worship as we should, in worship in spirit and in truth, it's going to be responding to good gospel-centered lyrics. There's also many verses about false teachers and warnings against false teaching and false teachers. And so that's certainly something that, as we said, we don't want to lead other people into that. We don't want to be led into that ourselves So when we're singing songs from a church where there's someone that is a false teacher, that that is concerning. So let me ask a question then, and let me phrase it like this, because if we simply just point out, here's the issues with Bethel, here's the issues with Elevation, here's the issues with Hillsong, we've seen megachurches collapse. We've seen those go away. The thing is, another one will take their place. And so what's the next church to come along? Who's the next false teacher to come along? We don't know. So I guess the question that I want to ask is, how do we think through these songs that we're singing? Should we be singing them? What are your thoughts on that? We should be very vigilant when it comes to the things that we're listening to. Just as Paul says in Romans 12, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How do we renew our minds? We renew our minds through scripture. And so if there's something that is in a song that does not align with scripture, I would say that that is a very big red flag, especially if you're singing it corporately with a body of believers where you have a whole bunch of different levels of spiritual maturity, whether they're new, like they're brand new, they might they might even just be looking. Even if you are mature in the faith, there are still things that you need to remind yourself of. So I think if it's not aligning with scripture, then that is a very big indicator of something that we should not be singing in churches. Another thing to ask yourself is, is this tied to a particular false teacher, a church that teaches false teaching? That would obviously be a red flag. Is there false theology coming through in the lyrics? But uh, another aspect to that that a lot of people don't think of, especially in corporate worship, is when you sing those songs, you're actually giving money through CCLI licensing to that church or to that false teacher. Whoever wrote that song is getting money. I certainly don't want to be funding a false teacher. I don't want to be providing for someone to continue to spread false teaching. And not only do we fund these churches and these artists by the CCLI licensing, but also like if you're listening through Spotify or even just on your own, you are paying for that music in some form or fashion. It is still funding those artists. Right, royalties. And I think that it's also really important to note that when we have marked a false teacher or a false teaching, the Bible tells us not to have anything to do with those people or with that teaching, to remove it from our congregation. So I think that's also something to remember. If your church is continuing to do that, 
God has been very clear. Another thing that we consider at RCF, and I think that certainly if you're leading these songs, you should consider, is, is this presenting a stumbling block for other people? I know we reference Romans 14 a lot on the podcast, and that's important, but there's also 1 Corinthians 9, 12. Paul is talking about his rights and giving up his rights, and he said that it's his aim not to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. I think a lot of times when we're singing these songs, we think, oh, but this is a song I really like, and it's really ministered to me, and so I want to sing it, and therefore I'm going to lead it. And we're not generally thinking of other people. But I know for for myself, having worked in the music industry, having seen some of these things that go on in some of these churches and hearing these stories, if I walk into a church and they're singing one of these songs that I, I know is a Bethel song or a Hill song or something of the like, it is a hindrance to my worship. I don't want to be a hindrance to someone else's worship. And we don't normally think of it that way. We're just thinking, what are the songs that we like? We may be thinking, is this song true? There were songs from Hillsong that I continued to sing for a while because I thought, yeah, the lyrics, there isn't anything concerning in that. But I wasn't thinking of what might this lead them to. And if there are people maybe that have experienced the bad stuff from there, that have been exposed to that teaching, and they've come out of that, how is that going to affect them? But I've experienced it from the other side. Having worked in the music industry and then coming up here, being at a church where the worship leader was singing a song from an artist that I knew did not believe the same things. I actually used to work with that artist, and I was very concerned about it, and I shared it with the worship leader, and he didn't seem to mind because he really liked the song. In fact, he would get up and sing the song and look down at me and smile, and I I thought, that's not leading me to worship God. And so it was more of a hindrance. And so at RCF, we don't want to throw any obstacles that are unnecessary So again, we need to consider others more important than ourselves, as Scripture tells us to do. We need to be humble in this. In fact, we need to be willing to let go of songs or books or whatever if that church or those people become problematic. And so we need to hold these things loosely. If we say, hey, there's no way that I'm going to stop singing this song because I love it so much, even if it comes from a heretic or somebody who has left the faith, if I'm not willing to let go of that, I need to examine my own heart. Have I made an idol out of a certain style of music or a certain artist? We have to be willing to hold these things loosely. They aren't on the level of Scripture We don't have to cling to them. And so you think of some songs that we love today and would sing today, like In Christ Alone. That's a pretty standard one, right? Would we let go of that if the writers left the faith? Yeah, absolutely. I would let go of a great song. That would be applying these principles that we're talking about. That would be considering other things and other people more important than my preference. We have to definitely be careful of hanging on to anything more tightly than we hang on to God and his word. And a really important thing to note is that these people that are really big, whether it's an author or a style of music or even a group, 
they're not the only ones in existence. They're not the paragon. They're mm. not something that can't be replaced because we are all human. Things change. That is absolutely true. But the word of God does not change. And there will be somebody who is faithful to the word of God who will also maybe provide music. So take that as an encouragement. Even if you never listen to any of these groups that we've mentioned or other ones ever again, that does not mean that that is the end to all worship music because that is far from the truth. That's a great point because our worship is not hindered at all if we don't sing these songs from these groups. If it is, then we have to examine what we are really worshiping. Right. And God is not going to receive any less glory if we don't sing these songs. There are plenty of other good songs out there. There are some time-tested, theologically sound hymns. And there are even new songs that are theologically rich that don't have all the baggage of where they come from. So we're trying to choose those types of songs at RCF. I want to do the same even in my own life. I was just reading an article online from Christianity Today that was about how these few megachurches that we're talking about have dominated the worship charts and the worship sets. And the article was showing how they're all connected and they're writing these songs together. But one thing in that article really caught my eye. The writer said that all of these churches who are writing these songs have, quote, a spirituality that believes God becomes present in a meaningful and powerful way when the congregation sings a particular style of worship song. Those songs become one of the primary ways of connecting with God, end quote. Did you catch that? One of the primary ways of connecting with God. This definitely encapsulates some of the problematic things that we're talking about, where these churches in their theology believe that their songs are somehow becoming the primary way that you connect with God. And that's why they have to have the right build in the song and work people into a frenzy in order to make you feel like you're having this amazing spiritual experience. And this has created a culture in the church where people don't feel close to God without this type of music. And that's because they've been trained to feel this way. That's what this music is supposed to do. If that's you and you find it difficult to worship without these songs, you need to be asking, am I finding my primary way of connecting with God through a song that someone wrote, someone who is part of a heretical or at the very least a problematic church, Am I trying to connect with God through those songs rather than connecting with God through scripture and through prayer? That's what it should be. That's the means that God has given us. And then it doesn't matter if these songs come and go because these songs don't connect me to God. I have God's word and I have the ability through Christ to pray directly to God. And we could actually say a lot more about that and the role of music and worship, but I think we're going to need to save that for a future episode. What we're focused on here in this episode is a few principles to help us think through what we should and what we shouldn't sing. And we said that it is important to first consider, is what we're singing true? Are the lyrics saying true things about God and expressing truth from his word? We need to be careful that if we could sing any of these same songs to any other God, then it's not truly a Christian song. And the second thing to think through would be, will this lead me or other people to false teachers or false doctrine? While the song itself may not have a specific theological error, will it be the gateway to false doctrine? Which is exactly your story that you were sharing, Jelani. 
So we don't want to even unintentionally lead ourselves or others to begin to embrace or promote a false teacher. And tied into that, Alice, you said to ask the question, is this funding false teachers or false churches? And then the third thing that we mentioned is, will this hinder the worship of others? We want to consider others before ourselves. So I think all of those questions are helpful to think through and to consider. And one last thing that we should make clear is that we are not saying that you are in sin if you're listening to these songs or if you're singing them at a church you're attending. If the song itself is stating true things about God and from his word, if it is not directly helping a false teacher and it's not putting a stumbling block in the way of other Christians to worship God, then we can't say that you're necessarily in sin for listening to a song or singing it. We want to make that clear, but it's also not something to be taken lightly. If you're in a church or you're in a ministry that's singing these songs, we believe that it's important to talk to them about it. Walk through these questions with your pastors or your leaders. They may be just looking at the lyrics for face value. Yeah, for face value, not thinking about some of these other considerations. So it is right to share your concerns. Don't just leave because your church or your ministry sang one of these songs communicate with them, and be gracious in the process. But I want to be at a church and a ministry that takes worship seriously. Find one where there is good expository preaching and teaching and where they're singing good, solid, theologically rich songs. They should care not only about what is being preached, but what is being sung. Yeah, I agree. Good expository preaching that leaves you with not only that you know God more, but that you can apply it. And so those worship songs should be supporting that expository preaching. And so not only are you encouraged by the word, but you are encouraged by the music as well. And you're exhorted to application. That's the goal for you as a believer for the congregation as a whole, for the body of Christ as a whole, for us to know God, that's the goal. That's what you should be doing. Amen. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. So much fun. You've been listening to the RCF podcast. You can find more information about Rody Christian Fellowship on our website, rodiefellowship.com or on Instagram at Rody Fellowship.